Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Adam Learns Random Stuff. Today, I'm speaking with Patricia Bravo. Patricia is a leadership consultant. Her company is called Bravo for You, and she focuses on empathetic leadership. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, first off, I'd like to ask you to tell us a little bit about your journey and what led you into the uh, public speaking and consultant role that you currently occupy. Hi, Adam. Thanks for inviting me to join you today. I got into this work because as a team member working at a variety of companies, I saw over and over again the impact that not so great leaders had on their team members. And I really wanted to do something about it. And so when I left the corporate world eight or nine years ago and decided that I wanted to branch on uh, off into something on my own, I mined my own experiences. And through that, I recognized that leaders that were actually making a difference in the workplace on their teams were leading with empathy. And that's sort of when the light bulb went off for me. And I started doing some research and finding that I was uncovering something that resonated with a lot of people, a lot of team members. And yet leaders didn't necessarily know how to apply empathetic leadership techniques. So I began to dive in. I did a little bit of my own research. I started creating um, some tools and techniques and testing them out with people and got some really great feedback. And that's kind of led me to where I am today. That's a, that's a great story and a great perspective coming from the perspective of working on teams where you felt that you could see the impact that the empathetic leaders were making. Um, I will mention that I met Patricia, God, it must be like seven or eight years ago now at a conference for the California State University system when I had transitioned myself from being an IT leader into being an HR leader, which was a, a pretty interesting transition and, and where a lot of the focus of what I was seeing was, in fact, empathetic leadership. And I just really appreciated what Patricia was talking about and how she was presenting it and how I could see that it would make an impact on the people that that I was trying to lead. So um, my next question is about the kinds of things that you're interested in right now. What kind of areas are you interested in in empathetic leadership currently that are kind of helping you to move the field forward and move yourself forward? Yeah, um, a, a few areas. Um, three really come to mind. The first is that there's still a lot of myths out there around empathy and leadership. And so I'm always trying to diligently bust through some of those and um, help people uncover um, the power of empathy and, and why those myths are truly myths. Um, the second one is that I am also really valuing the work that the neuroscience community is doing and connecting mm -hmm. um, the, the empathetic um, regions of the brain um, mm -hmm. to how we actually behave. So I think there's a, there's a lot there yeah. to uncover. And so um, I'm always staying current on the information that is there. And then... Um, the last one is really around um, when when you think about empathy and leadership, and and not mm -hmm. everybody thinks about it in the same way, and everybody comes to it um, with their own definition. There are some things that are counterintuitive, and one is that 
um, empathy and leadership can actually save time. So I've been talking a lot about that with people that seems to have piqued interest as well. Yeah, I think all three of those are really kind of fascinating. One, one, and I'm kind of a sequential guy, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of those myths because I'm sure I can imagine some, but I bet there's some that I can't. Yeah. Um, well, the first one that comes to mind, the mo- I'll share the most common one and then maybe one that might be a, a bit of a surprise for people. Uh, and the most common one is that if you empathize, and particularly as a leader at work, mm-hmm. you are going to somehow feel compelled to respond in a certain way, and mm-hmm. then you're going to be manipulated. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a concern that a lot of people have. And I think it's a, it's a really valid concern. And there's ways yeah. to, uh, to mitigate that. Um, but in fact, empathy is really about understanding. And yeah. the, the definition that I use is it's about the ability to accurately read and interpret cues and clues that the mm. other person is giving you to activate understanding. Yeah, I think that... Oh, go ahead. No, I just it makes a lot of sense to me. One of the terms that I often would find myself sort of echoing in my head is don't mistake kindness for weakness. Ah, yes, yes. Um, and I know that, that that empathy and kindness are somewhat different in nature, um, but that sometimes that is certainly perceived amongst leaders as, oh, well, if I care or I express kindness or concern um, or empathy, that that might be mistaken for weakness on my part and people might try to take advantage of that. Yes. And so empathy is about understanding and understanding is really neutral. I I joke that it's like Switzerland. Uh, There's really uh, nothing other than gaining understanding of another person. What's different is the choice of how you respond. And so that separate from the actual piece of understanding. And so your choice to respond might be to behave in a certain way, but you've got a range of choices that you can select from. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And and are there other myths that are a little trickier? Uh, yeah. You know, um, one that's coming to mind right now um, that, that I hear from a lot of people is that um, empathy can't necessarily be taught. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I hear that a lot from people is, can I learn yeah. this? Um, yep. One of the things that we know is that actually, there's some research out there that um, children as young as 18 months can mm-hmm. identify that somebody has a different perspective. than mm. them. So all of us, most of us, I won't say all, but most of us learn at a really young age, we can begin to discern that. What happens is as we age and then in the workplace, as we grow into more and more senior leadership positions, we get further and further away from that ability to understand. And so we have to work at it a little bit harder. And so that's where some experimentation with empathy comes in. So people can identify, oh, you know what? I do have some degree of empathy and we all need to figure out how much we all individually have. And then you can just build on top of that. Yeah, that's really kind of fascinating. And I hate to seg you into the neuroscience part, but I think that's a in some ways a natural transition because the the you know, one of the one of the mantras of neuroscience is neurons that wa- fire together, wire together. The more you use something, the more it builds on itself. So building those empathetic pathways in your brain are just kind of natural. 
But then if you suppress them over time, they start to go away. That's exactly right. And that lines up with exactly what we're seeing in the research. So the the neuroscientists have found that empathy lights up in four different areas of the brain. They mm-hmm. know two of those areas really, really well. And those are the ones you're probably familiar with, Adam. I know you've got some experience in this area. The ones that, that the neuroscientists know the best are the ones in the prefrontal cortex. So that area mm-hmm. kind of right underneath our forehead, a little bit in the front of our head. Um, and then in the back, closer to the brainstem, mm-hmm. where the amygdala resides. And I like to think right. of both of that, those as kind of the smart brain and that prefrontal cortex and, and the amygdala where we have our, our emotional, sometimes reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of our impulsive brain. And right. exactly what you're talking about, because we know that empathy is heavily associated with those two and a couple others that we don't know enough about yet. One of the things that we have discovered is that you can actually build upon those neuropathways exactly mm-hmm. as you were talking about. So you can repattern and repave. I like to think about it as, you know, those streets that have potholes that you're driving through and you always want to have repaved. <laughs> um, you're doing that exact same thing with your brain as you're experimenting with empathy. And those experiments can be as brief as 10 minute experiments. So we're not talking about, you know, hours and hours or a lifetime of effort in 10 minute increments, you can begin to do that. Wow. That's pretty fascinating. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about some of those experiments? That would be pretty neat to hear about. Yeah. I always encourage um, people to to think about it um, in terms of the things that they know that they're really strong at related to empathy. So I'll choose a really easy and obvious one to start, and then I'll share maybe a less obvious one. The easy and obvious one that just about everybody knows about is listening, right? The importance of listening. We've heard a thousand times how important it is to listen. We all know that. Um, But I would encourage people to evaluate their ability to listen with empathy. And that requires a deeper level of listening. So we all have a sense of how good of listeners we are. So so think about kind of your own ability to to listen with some depth um, and whether that is something that you could benefit from experimenting um, with deepening that a little bit. Um, Folkman and uh, Zanger in a Harvard Business Review article Mm -hmm. actually talked about, um, I think they have seven levels of listening. And the sixth level is actually where you get to that empathic listening. Hmm. And the reason for that is because of that ability to accurately and interpret those cues and clues. You're really understanding, you're gaining some more understanding, and you've Mm -hmm. got to have a certain depth of listening. So the first few steps are about, you know, closing down your computer, not looking at your phone, all those (laughs) things we know are obvious, right? right? We know, we know those things, but when you get a little bit further, it's about really seeing if you can relate, if you can understand, if you can calibrate with others Mm -hmm. as you're listening and really understand their, where they're coming from, um, their experiences, their desires, whatever else that might be. So, so listening is kind of that really, really obvious one that I encourage people to experiment with. Um, The other one, I guess, is a little bit more related to this idea that empathy can save time. And this is one that, um, you know, people kind of tilt their head to the side and look at me when I, when I say that to them. Um, And empathy can save time 
because of the depth of the relationships that it can create. So one of the things that I discovered in some research that I did is empathy can actually um, serve as a leadership advantage by strengthening mm-hmm. the relationship bond. And you're, you're mm-hmm. nodding. I can see you here on video. Um, you're nodding. And, uh, and part of that is because you're um, strengthening the trust bonds in a relationship. Right. It sounds like you've, you've seen that before. Oh, yeah. Many times. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking as you were talking about listening and that one of the things that, I mean, people often attain leadership not because of their listening, but because of their talking. Yeah. And I think like, I don't know, I haven't read that Harvard Business Review article, but I have read and know. And in fact, what I'm engaged in right now is listening with the intent to respond rather than listening with the intent to understand or to empathize. You know, my goal is to hear what you're saying and respond to it in a way that shows that I understand what you're saying, but not what you're feeling or what is the content or the cues that you're giving me. I'm really listening so that I can respond intelligently to what you're saying, or at least attempt to. And that's a very different thing than listening with the intent and with the capability to empathize with the person that you're listening to and a trait that's not often selected for in people who attain leadership positions. So I was just kind of thinking about that. Yes, I think you're exactly right. Um, I talk to a lot of leaders and um, and I remind them that they were hired to do some problem solving and strategic thinking um, and to, um, you know, uh, leverage whatever their business knowledge is in a way to either um, grow their business, um, resume their business, uh, turn around their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowhere in there is anybody saying, oh, by the way, we actually need you to maybe slow down. Um, and empathize and be more present for your team members. Yeah. And I think that's particularly, you know, as many of us are remote working, you know, in particular leaders, often remote working, not having that informal interpersonal interaction, which helps to build those empathetic strings between people. Um, I think it's even more important to sort of focus on that listening part. Um, And, you know, a lot of us are good at talking. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. I think there's, uh, there's opportunities for everybody to experiment. And again, it's really about just taking a quick look at yourself. We all know ourselves in that area. Um, is that a strength for you or not? And if it isn't, um, some, some, you know, ways that you can continue to experiment that is to see if you can deepen, um, your actual listening. And I'm happy to share the link with that article so people can take a look at that if that's of interest. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, I think that the the time-saving factor is also probably something that people are really interested in because I think, honestly, a lot of times people are like, well, I don't have time for that. I have so many things to do. There's so many things going on. I'm so wrapped up in everything. In particular, these days, you everybody feels so overstressed and overtaxed that they feel like, I think sometimes folks feel like, and I certainly might fall into this sometimes, that the empathy pulls something out of you and that in particular, when you're feeling a time crunch or feeling like you, you know, you're not, you're not capable of doing all the things that you need to do, taking the time to listen, taking the time to empathize, or just taking the, the emotional energy to empathize with somebody might be difficult. So I'd be really interested to hear about how you approach some of those 
ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is to really think about separating, um, empathizing, and responding. So the, the focus that you want to have is on the empathizing part and not necessarily needing to respond in the moment. And there's lots of ways that you can actually signal that to people ahead of time. Um, hey, I really want to hear from you. Or I've got, you know, five minutes or you know eight minutes or whatever that is, a really brief amount of time to sit and connect with you. I just want to give you a heads up. I might not have a response for you right now, but I do want to think about this or as soon as I'm finished with this project. You know, I'll get back to you. If you signal that to people, people are generally pretty willing and understanding once mm-hmm. you've signaled that your intent is to respond to them and that it isn't going to be necessarily right in that moment. And that takes a little bit of the pressure off of the leader who mm-hmm. may be feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, this person is going to unload a whole bunch of stuff on me. And exactly what you said, I don't have time for it right now, or it's taking something emotionally away from me. And I need to kind of bolster my own system or recharge my own system before I can go back. So, so the first really is to separate the two. So once you've kind of mm-hmm. done that and kind of thought about that a little bit, um, then uh, what you can do is when you do empathize and you do that again in just it can be in less than 10 minutes, you can, at that point, begin to create what I like to call relationship shortcuts. And how that happens is when you empathize, you're working on understanding. And so over a period of time, you're going to continue to understand more and more about that team member that you're working with. And eventually you'll get to this place where it will shorten either the conversations or the emails. So Adam, have you ever been in this situation where uh, you had to explain something to somebody once in person, follow up in an email, review and edit things, um, and then go back to them, you know, two more times to see if they would modify some things. And so it's an extended amount of time. Um, And so what I like to think about it is, is when you know who they are, you know what they'll do. So empathizing has a little bit Mm -hmm. of a predictive quality associated with it. Now, this isn't, you know, a crystal ball or anything, but once you spend some time getting to know someone, you'll know the likelihood of how they may respond to you. And in your interactions with them, it can shorten the interaction. So no longer do I need to wonder if uh, I'm working with uh, James on a new product launch. Does he know Mm -hmm. how important this client is? Uh, Does he know the pet peeves of the vice president? Uh, Does he know that we send out our communication in bullets and never in paragraphs, right? You already know that in that particular situation, because you have had some time to empathize with James, it'll shorten your connections. So yeah, it's really interesting because I think that's so crucial to forming an actual team, you know, developing the relationships of the people that not only do you know how they're going to respond, but they know how you're going to respond. I think that's one thing that I've often thought about in this discussion of empathetic leadership is that it's not a one-way street. Um, And I've certainly seen this many times over the course of my admittedly somewhat lengthy career at this point in my life. And, uh, you know, I see it, you know, when I have relationships that I can trust those bonds with the people that I work with and that work with me, they sometimes can see the empathy for me. And that's, I have to say that makes me so much more engaged with my team, having those bonds and them knowing how I'm going to respond and me knowing how they're going to respond. So they don't always have to ask me. They can say, oh, okay, well, I know that Adam would be cool with this. Or, you know, I know that he would be proud of me for doing this. 
Those are things I think are really important and they do save time and they say they make work nicer. I know that's kind of a silly term, but it's, you know, when you, when you're working with people that you feel like know you and you know them, it makes it kind of a little, you spend a lot of your time there. It makes it a little bit nicer to be there and doing that stuff. Yes. And earlier you mentioned um, kind of the, the relationship strings, I think is the term you mm-hmm. used. And, yep. um, and yeah, what, what you're talking about is the relationship shortcuts can actually um, uh, tighten those strings, but also shorten mm-hmm. them. So the communication then becomes much more effective. And like I said, um, is shortened. And boy, do all of us um, want to save a little bit of time these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, time is the one thing that is a completely non-renewable resource, right? You're yeah. never going to get it back. Yeah. Um, and it's it's one of those things, I think, as you get older, you realize more and more. Um, and as you work, you realize how much of it you spend doing that work and how important it is, at least from my perspective, to do that with people that you are connected to. Definitely. Yeah. And I think the strength of those um, relationship bonds then continue to just build on each other. And so eventually you get kind of this exponential effect. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, they can be not just between, you know, it's not like, again, it's to my mind, it's strings because that's how I think. But, you know, you're kind of like weaving a little a little pattern of, you know, it's not just a a relationship shortcut that you can have with somebody that you're leading, but they have that relationship shortcut with somebody that they're, that's also on the team. And then those sort of pathways again, in kind of, in a weird way, it's kind of like the neuroscience stuff we were talking about. They all kind of wire together to make things more efficiently and kind of click over. Um, And I've seen that even in teams that um, I've been a member of where we all kind of started to generate those capabilities to work together to, generate ideas or to, to make things, to fix things if they need to be fixed or to make things better. And, and honestly, those are some of the best times I've ever had at work when I've been in a team where you could sort of see the things weaving through the different threads of connection with people. Yeah, it's great to see those building blocks kind of take off. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just to step back a little bit to the neuroscience stuff, because I did kind of find it kind of fun. Um, do you remember the other areas that they were talking about? Um, they're in a couple different other places of the brain. Um, and there's not very much information other than they're just finding that it's a place where um, that gets lit up huh. when, when some form of empathy is engaged. What's, what's tricky is that... Um, we have found for quite some time now that there are different lenses in which you can look at empathy. Yeah. Um, you can look at it from a purely cognitive lens. You can look at it purely emotional. I mean, I could name mm-hmm. you know six or seven other ways. The reason why I lean a little bit more closely to the emotional side of this mm-hmm. is because that's what fosters true connections between right. humans. And that's what's necessary in the workplace. And so the neuroscience experts are now taking the research into areas that hasn't even been tapped into yet. So some of the things I'm finding um, lately is that they're beginning to explore empathy as it relates to genetics. That could be really interesting. Um, They're doing a lot of patient studies related to pharmacology. Mm -hmm. Um, So really starting to branch out into some other areas above and beyond. So I think this is a a space that's going to, we're going to continue to learn so much more 
um, and see how it applies to us and how we can translate it to to even more effective working relationships at work. Yeah, it's always kind of fascinating to me to think about kind of how how to elicit those things. And I always find like people when you start to talk about, and I remember when I was doing neuroscience seems like forever ago, and we would see, you know, they would be doing studies on the, you know, the brains of of people who have committed horrific crimes or studies on the brains of people who have done magnificent things. And and I think, and you know, we were doing genetic studies too. I was involved in one that was a big European genetic study of uh, teenagers. And um, it was always interesting to me to see that I think oftentimes when you apply that biological lens to emotional things or to characteristic things or behavior, it gives the impression that something might in fact be preordained. And I think that that is something that I always get a little concerned about, like, well, you know, are they going to start doing functional MRIs of like leaders to make sure that they're actually empathetic or not? You know, and I think that a lot of people sometimes feel that way. And I'm always the first one to put my hand up and say, you know what? It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means that we're interested in studying this, but it doesn't mean, you know, can't use it as a defense in court that, you know, well, my brain's just like this. That's why I did that. Um, or on the flip side, you shouldn't be selecting people based on genetic profiles or brain profiles or or any of those things. So I always find that kind of a fascinating sort of conundrum that people have that biologically based arguments for behavior and for, you know, interactions can be very tricky to tease out and make sure that you're not saying, oh, well, you know, hey, that's why you are the way you are. Sure. Yeah. What I think it can do is it, it can inform our own individual wiring and mm-hmm. so bring us some additional awareness to, oh, maybe I'm a little bit wired this way. And now I know that might be um, my impulsive brain reacting. I know that right. I have a smart brain that can compensate for that um, if I just experiment and figure out the patterns and the ways that I can make sure that I'm regulating that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I have to, you know, it's still fascinating to me, even though I haven't done it in a while. Um, And I I think that one of the things that I'm always sort of interested in hearing about is, you know, there's, I think we all believe ourselves to be intrinsically empathetic. Um, And you were talking a little bit about how sort of we end up suppressing that over time, in particular, people who are successful in work endeavors and people who attain leadership positions. And um, I often wonder, so then how do you sort of tease out, how do you bring back up that inherent empathy? Is there a way that you've found to, to, to bring that forward for a particular person who might not elicit, you know, show that right off the bat? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, like anything else, um, we all, I think, recognize strength in ourselves and areas that we have to develop. Um, but some of the strengths maybe are a little stronger than we think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I often have people just do a quick um, assessment and kind of some key areas, some key drivers right. of empathy, just to kind of uncover um, and maybe validate what they think to actually be true. Um, or if they haven't thought about this in a while, maybe it's a reminder of an area that they want to focus on. Um, one of the ways that I sometimes talk to people about this is, um, I, I discovered and, um, coined this term, uh, for a leadership affliction that people have in the workplace (laughs) called leaderitis. Uh, (laughs) 
it only happens to leaders. It only happens at work. Um, and, and it's basically when leaders um, apply their own lens and their own experiences mm. and their own perspectives and assume that the, those that they're working with have those as well. And on the surface, it sounds respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think about other people. And so I'm doing that in the way that that I think um, is a value. Um, but what happens is, is that um, sometimes that doesn't match up how others are viewing things. And so while while we judge ourselves by our intentions, they judge us by our actions. And if mm-hmm. those who don't match up and they're incongruent, then the team member thinks that that leader just doesn't get it. And so wow. so empathy can really help bridge that gap and kind of suppress leaderitis um, by really focusing on understanding the other person, really looking at activating those cues and clues and and trying to understand what they're trying to communicate. Um, and by the way, um, it's not about perfection. And so maybe I can yeah. uh, kind of uh, leave you with this last myth, which is people think that um, if you're trying to empathize that you've got to reach perfection. Uh, <laughs> you don't. I mean, you're not going to be able to empathize with everybody and that's okay. Right. Um, but if you can't empathize with someone, what I encourage people to do is to use that as a signal that that's an opportunity to get curious and ask some questions. Um, and so even the act of doing that will help support the signal that the leader is sending to the team member that they're actually interested and engaged and want to be part of the conversation and are striving to understand. And that is really meaningful in and of itself. And by doing that, they'll get some information that will get them closer to that understanding. Yeah. And leaders often are perfectionists. I have to say, I loved that leaderitis picture. It, it drew a picture in my head of like one of those banner, you know, one of those old timey ads of, are you suffering from leaderitis? Try empathy. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. It's been a joy. Um, I am really appreciate your time and energy and perspective. And um, I hope other folks do as well. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it.